Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hitting the Mark. My name is Ray Carr, along with Cindy Verbalin and the star of our show, Jeffrey Mark. Jeffrey, welcome. Hi, Hi fans and friends. Always great to be with you guys. It's an honor to be with you, Jeffrey, because every single time that we get together, I my knowledge base is grows exponentially. And I thank you for that. And I just learned so much about people that I thought I knew. But now being with you, I just know I'm like, I, I could never, I could never have imagined knowing them like I do now. And tonight I, will be no exception. I've said this before, and I'll say it again: I'm the luckiest son of a gun on the planet. Well, well we're pretty lucky to have you working with us. That's for sure. Indeed, you are. And tonight, <laughs> we're going to speak about a young lady. Well, she's not young, but she was at one time, Phyllis Diller. And, and, Phyllis, you're, and you're assuming she was a lady. So there, you had two assumptions. Ah, <laughs> Never okay. assume anything they say, yes. Phil Diller, okay. Yeah, born in beautiful Lima, Ohio, which is only a short 200 miles from Cleveland. Um, and then, you know, she really started nowhere. And now she just, you know, had that career that lasted forever. And she lived well into her 90s. It is a real curiosity for me that so many wonderful people I know came out of Ohio, uh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Akron, Lima, but all left Ohio to pursue their dreams. But it's, it's no coincidence. There must be something in the water in Ohio that produces so many wonderful creative people uh, like Jack Riley and- uh, Paul Newman. Paul Newman. And just, just the, the, there's a long, long list of folks musically, comedically, actors and actresses coming out of Ohio, and mm -hmm. Elder and, and uh, Drew Carey. But I, I digress. Phyllis is one of them. You know, I guess I have to ask the question is, I've watched her for many years doing many different things. But in your opinion, what made Phyllis Diller funny? I think Phyllis Diller gave voice to a, 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 a up to that point, unvoiced part of the population. You know, comedians before Phyllis did ethnic humor, or they did my mother-in-law jokes, my wife jokes. No one saw daily life. No one saw marriage. No one saw sex from the woman's point of view. And Phyllis created this character, interestingly, with terrible hair, wearing sack dresses, dog collars with rhinestones on them, boots, all of which became styles. Phyllis introduced a whole wave of style in her attempt to do satire. She was satirizing the upwardly mobile matron. And, but in doing so, she actually affected style. So she was able to show the woman's point of view, but not, hey, how you doing? Let me tell you my point of view. She did it through her character and she did it in satire. So even when she was talking from a woman's point of view, it was a satirical woman's point of view. And you combine that with how she looked and then that laugh of hers, for those of you who are listening who, who maybe aren't all that familiar with Phyllis, she really was the first female stand-up comic in nightclubs. 
there were there were a few who were in vaudeville before her, but in in modern thinking, she was the first. And she would stand there looking ridiculous. She had this great big long cigarette holder that was never lit, that she could flick to uh, punch a joke out. Her hair was either her own hair teased out or a wig in later years. And she, she learned to laugh at her own jokes because she was afraid the audience wouldn't laugh with her. So she would tell a joke, do a punch like, ha, 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 ha. Well, that became a trademark. So you have trademark laugh, trademark looks. You're the only one doing what you're doing. So she's an original. And what most people don't know is that in nightclubs in the late 50s and 60s, Phyllis was very adult. She didn't use coarse language. She didn't do what Joan Rivers did in later years. You know, use, use the four-letter words and, and really get right down to it. But she insinuated sex. She insinuated that if you're a part of a married couple, sex is going to happen. That was revolutionary on a stage back then and double revolutionary coming out of a woman's mouth. So for all of those reasons, she was a one of a kind. What we saw of her on television, how most of us know Phyllis, is either we grew up watching her on television specials or as a guest star on somebody else's show or on the talk shows or in films she made with Bob Hope. But, but the, the, the real comic, the one who worked nightclubs was a bit of a different animal, much more sophisticated, much more adult. And, and just her comedy timing was just so right on. It's very hard to do satire, to do it constantly the way she did it was brilliant. Jeffrey, how much of her stage persona and her offstage persona, how, how much of those were um, one and the same, if any? Almost zero. Phyllis was a very intelligent person. She did not come to comedy until she was in her late 30s. She'd been in comedy for a few years and she got on with Groucho Marx when he was hosting You Bet Your Life as a contestant. That was her first national exposure. And she felt she didn't do very well on it. So she was a mother of many children. Her husband didn't make enough money for them to live on, which is why she went into comedy. If I have to make a living at something, I might as well make a living at something that will keep me interested. You know, she didn't want to work at a supermarket. So Phyllis was dealing with being a wife and a mother of a lot of kids and money problems and the problems of being a woman who worked at a time when it was a shame on a husband if a woman had to work. You mean you can't support your wife? wow, you must have a small penis. It was that kind of mentality of there was something wrong with the man if the woman had to work. Right. So that was dealing with in her personal life. The, the, the stage character was a lot more flippant. Phyllis was a stylish woman at home. Phyllis had a beautiful, beautiful, we'll talk in a moment about her home. When you sat and talked with her, it wasn't comedy. She wasn't being funny all the time. Like many comedians, she was quite serious about what she took. She took her career. She took her craft very, 
very seriously. And she wasn't going to waste material at dinner. If something funny came up, okay. And she wrote it down so she could use it later. But she wasn't going to sit there and at dinner tell you jokes. Dinner was to actually have some social time and relax. So, so Phyllis had become, by the early 60s, a wealthy mother and wife who was never home because like any comedian who makes their full-time living doing that, she was busy touring the country. And I believe also going to England and performing in London, performing in Canada. So she was a busy, busy, busy woman. And the, the home life she was satirizing really didn't exist. Talking about dusting, talking about not cleaning the floor. She hadn't had to do that in years. By the time we were hearing that on television, she had a full staff of servants working for her. So it was a very different life. Much the way it was for John Rivers. Both of them, I think, although their material is very different and their, their take on things. You know, Joan, Joan was East Coast Jewish. Phyllis was Midwest, Ohio, white bread. But they both kind of attacked the woman's role in life, what women had to do to please their husbands, both of them having distaste for actually cooking and cleaning. So they put that into their humor. Phyllis was a businesswoman a very smart businesswoman. What kind of stuff did she eventually uh, invest in to, to keep her finances above board? I mean, some people in the showbiz world were not good at that and lost a lot of money, but what, what was uh, the thing to help Phyllis uh, you know, save her money? You have to have good people around you. Her husband was intelligent. He, he made sure they didn't squander. They lived well, they lived very, very comfortably, but they didn't overextend themselves. That's the, I think the biggest mistake most people in show business make. When you break through and last month you were making $500 a week and this month you're making $5,000 a week, people forget, and I had this lecture really shoved down my throat by my friend, Paul Peterson. We could do an hour about him someday. He said, Jeffrey, all right, so you're making big money now? That's nice. 10% goes to a manager, off the top. 10% goes to an agent, off the top. If you've got lots of contracts, 10% are going to an attorney. That's the fee for working for you all the time. You've now lost 30% of what you've earned. Then you got to pay taxes on the whole amount, depending on how much your income is. That's how big the bite is. You have to have clothing. You have to have makeup. You have to buy material. If you're singing, you have to buy musical charts. Phyllis Diller had to buy musical charts because everybody had a band behind them. Even if it was just to bring them on and bring them off in clubs, you got to provide the music. There are tremendous expenses being in show business. There are, for me, I can only imagine when you're talking about legendary level of people in the business, how expensive it was for her to be Phyllis Diller, to have those wigs made, to have those dresses made, and the jewelry, and it costs money. 
So yeah, you may make five thousand a week or twenty-five thousand dollars a week. That's not what you're bringing home, and you're not necessarily working every week. What if you get the flu for a month? What if Joan Rivers used to say the next woman comes out, Todi Schmodi, and all of a sudden Todi Schmodi is getting the bookings you used to get? You got to have money to live on while you sort of rethink where you're going. Right. It is the rare person who becomes independently wealthy from working nightclubs and doing the occasional television variety kind of thing. Uh, actors who do film and make several million dollars per film, yes, if you do five or six of those and watch your dough, you do end up having a million dollars at the end of that. But not in nightclubs. You live very well, but how many people bought a mansion immediately? How many people got chauffeurs and limousines immediately? How many people started demanding the best? Oh, I can afford diamonds. Well, you could, but you shouldn't. Phyllis was wise about that. Her money went into her career, all the expenses I've been talking about, and her family. Well, that was smart. Smart advice. And, you know, when you mentioned about all the things that come off the top of a salary, uh, those are things a lot of people don't even think about. Paul Peterson, as you mentioned, was a great advocate for, for child actors. And I had interviewed him once, and he, he's a brilliant man. Yeah, I, I was on the board for many years. I was on the board of directors of a minor consideration. Paul started to help current and former child actors. And we really will do an hour about that someday. This is Hitting the Mark. I'm the Mark, Jeffrey Mark. And I'm here with my great friends, Ray Carr and Cindy Verbalin.